0: I've placed on earth here for and that's a question that we all uh, should ask and really should have answered uh, from the word of God we're going to really talk about that today in our message and so if you have your Bibles go with me to Ephesians chapter 5 if you would and I do appreciate the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I appreciate Pastor Hanks allowing us to be here. And I'm grateful to see uh, all the crimson in the crowd this morning. You guys got the memo. And so for guys speaking from Alabama, you wore something at least that was close to crimson. It makes me feel right at home today. And so I appreciate that. Uh, we enjoyed spending time with the teenagers last night. And certainly we're grateful for all the gifts given to the children And they're excited about that, just going through it this morning. Little Joe playing with the balloons, that was his favorite out of all of it, just tearing them apart. Uh, But we're glad to be here. I do want to clear one thing up, I know Pastor mentioned it last night, and just talking about the work of God in your life, after you come to Christ, He begins to do a change in your life. And yes, when I was five years old, we did have a little kitty cat named Garfield, and that was because of the uh, evil influence, the sinful influence of my older sister, and so she kind of led that And led me astray. Uh, But now, just to show you where the Lord's brought me, we have a dog that's a German shepherd mixed with a Belgian Malinois. And his name is Sabin. And so that's where we've arrived now. And so we just praise the Lord for for his working in our life. Uh, But Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 15 for the sake of time. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, And I want you to think about the sort of the picture of the typology there, the words that are used, a follower of God as dear children. I have four young children, and you've met them this week. And as we go out and about and travel across the country, they're following my lead. And they walk behind me, for the most part. We have to make sure they stay beside us or behind us, either hand in hand or walking right where we're going. We were in Boston about a week and a half ago. And we made sure as we walked the streets of Boston looking at some of our nation's history that they followed us so that we did not lose them and they did not get led astray. And when we think about following God, no matter our our age, whether we're a five-year-old this morning or whether we're a 55 and 85-year-old this morning, we are to follow God's lead as dear children, We're to allow Him to guide and to direct our steps each and every day. And then verse 15, it says, See then that ye walk circumspectly. I've heard that described. If you think about a cat walking on a, a fence with glass and dogs on both sides, that cat's very careful to put one foot in front of the other. It's very aware of the steps that it's taking. That's basically what circumspectly means. To walk very carefully, giving attention to how we're walking. It says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And I hope we all would agree that if we had to choose between the two, we would choose to be a wise person and not a fool this morning. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And this morning is a little bit of an unusual message, a little bit different than a type of message I normally would preach, but something the Lord's laid on my heart that I hope will be a help to you as we all seek to do the will of God for our life. And I'm really not looking for, you know, something that we're going to do right here and right now. Hopefully we make some decisions today. But hoping to really set something in motion this morning that I hope will carry on throughout the rest of your life. And the title of the message this morning is simply this, Discerning and Doing the Will of God. Because once we've discerned God's will for our life, we should be obedient to do God's will for our life. And may you help us do that. Would you pray with me this morning and ask God to guide us as we study his word together? Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness to us. Uh, Thank you for, Lord, just bestowing your grace upon us. And I pray, Father, that as we come to your word, and we thank you for giving us your word to guide us, that, Lord, your word would be made clear in our hearts and minds that you'd give me the words to say and explanation, but Father, that it would be the Holy Spirit that does the preaching this morning. And as he speaks to our heart, that we would be faithful to obey what he leads us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. i just give you a brief sort of testimony of my life. I was born and raised in a Christian home. And so I was homeschooled all throughout uh, kindergarten through high school. So I had a Christian education and I was taken to a a church that preached and teached and taught the Bible, taught the gospel. And so from probably about three weeks old, I don't know how old I was when I first was taken out of the home, but probably about three weeks uh, from that point in time throughout the rest of my life, I heard the gospel preached and taught. And when I was five years old, I made a profession of faith, but honestly, I was going through the motions at that point in time. I knew that's what was expected of me having been raised in a Christian home and raised in church, and my friends were doing it. And so I prayed a prayer, told everybody that I got saved, and for the next 10 years I lived off of that, that testimony, that story that I told. But I had not truly placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for my soul's salvation. And at the age of 15, we were having a youth revival at our church, and the speaker shared his testimony. And he said, as a young man, he would doubt his salvation. He would find a piece of paper that his mother had put somewhere in the house that had the date written down of when he had made a profession. And he said, every time I looked at that piece of paper, I would feel better about it. And then I would doubt again. I'd go back and find that piece of paper and feel better about it. Until one day it dawned on me, he said, that I was trusting in what a piece of paper said and not in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he said that, it just resonated with me, because that's what I was doing. I was telling a story and living off of that, but not truly living with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I went home that night under deep conviction. I should have got it settled then, but I'm a little bit stubborn, and so I didn't. And so the next morning, I awoke under deep conviction, and all throughout that day, I just was under conviction that I was lost and on my way to hell. And so I found my mom later the next day, and she took me in her room and took the Bible, and had me turn to the verses in Romans that I'm pretty sure I quoted most of them back to her. I had, had to memorize them either at church or at home for one reason or another. And that day, April the 16th, 2005, at the age of 15, I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for my soul's salvation. And I know today that if I died, I'd be in heaven with the Lord. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. Uh, on the cross of Calvary, He paid for my sins and I simply have placed my faith in Him And Him alone for my soul's salvation. And this morning, as we think about our purpose for our life, the number one purpose for your existence, and there's a lot of questions about that in our world today. Why are we here? A lot of people say we're just here by chance, or uh, we're just here to live for ourselves. But the Bible tells us very clearly that we were placed on this earth by the will of God for the purpose, first of all, of knowing Him, having a relationship with Him. And so I hope that you know that you have a personal relationship with the Lord, that you've called on Christ for your soul's salvation. But then beyond that, the second part of our purpose is to live for Him and to make Him known to others. And so at the age of 15, I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and I ended up going through high school and graduated high school. And at that point in time in my life, and I shared some of this last night with some of the teenagers, I had no desires of furthering furthering my education in any way, shape or form. I was done with school. I had my own plans for my life. And to be honest with you, they were good plans. They included, I included God in my plans for my life. I said they were good plans. I didn't say they were the best plan for my life. And I was going to go to church, be faithful in church. I was going to work a job, raise a family, and even be involved in church to some degree. But that was my plan and I worked landscaping for a year and then I worked on small engines for a year and at 19 years of age I was working on the small engines and home standby generators and I realized this is not what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Here it's been two years out of high school, two full-time jobs. How many more full-time jobs will I have until I finally land on the one that I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And then I remembered having heard in church and heard preached to me all throughout my life that God had a plan for my life. And I believed that. And so I didn't really, it wasn't really, you know, a fall on my knees moment at an altar or anything like that. It was just as I was working, I prayed in my heart, Lord, if you will show me what your will is for my life, I'll do that and it'll be settled. I won't have to worry about it anymore. And the Lord called me to go to Crown College and there I enrolled as a business major and there that first semester, he called me to preach and it was there I met my wife and the rest is history as they say, here we are almost 10 years later after being married. And so when I think about discerning and doing the will of God, honestly, when we think about the will of God, sometimes it's a foreign thought to people. Some people give no thought to the fact that God has a will for their life. To some, uh, it's a forgotten thought. They've heard it preached about, and and they they maybe determined at one point in time they're going to do the will of God, but since then they've gotten distracted or discouraged even. And to some people, it's a foreboding thought. It's a scary thought to think, what if I yield my life to God? Then what is God going to call me to do? He may call me to go to Africa to be a missionary. (laughs) He may call me to go to Israel, war-torn Israel right now, and, and be a missionary. He may call me to the foreign land of Alabama to be a missionary. And maybe it's a foreboding thought, but the Bible is very clear that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that doesn't mean that it's an easy job. It means that God always will give us the strength to do what he calls us to do. I told you at 18 years old, I had no desire to go to college. I had no desire to study or to read. As a young child, I liked to read. As a teenager, I hated to read. I had no, no desire whatsoever to do anything like what I'm doing now. It's not It was not what I thought I had an ability to do or even really a desire to do. But God placed that desire in my heart and God has helped me to be able to have the strength and some degree of ability to do what he's called me to do. And so when we think about doing the will of God, three questions this morning I want us to answer very quickly and we'll have to move a little quick, uh, quickly this morning. It's first of all, we have to understand and ask the question and answer it, does God really have a will for my life? Well, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, "...the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the will of God for this world is that all will come to Him calling on him in faith, believing on him for salvation. God's not willing, the Bible says, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that's God's will for the world. He wants every man, woman, boy, and girl to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a personal relationship with him. And so as a believer, we're thinking about the mission conference, we understand what the Great Commission is. As a believer, it's God's will for me, no matter where I am, no matter how I may earn my living, to be a gospel witness for him. Go back and read Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. John chapter 20, verse 21. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Those passages that give us the great commission. We are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And so really there is no question this morning, does God have a will for my life? The Bible is very clear that yes, He does. So when we get specific, the question we have to really ask ourselves this morning... Is where is God's specific place for me inside of His will? I know as a believer that I'm to be a witness for Him. But now, where and in what capacity does He want me to do that? For my father, it's a, a, in Durham, North Carolina, as a computer programmer, there in a, in a local church, being a faithful member and serving through that local church to be a witness for Him. For me, it's to go to Hoover, Alabama and to be a church planner and a gospel witness for him there in Hoover, Alabama and right now wherever we are as we go around raising support. God's will is the same, but the specific place and the specific capacity is unique to each individual. So that's really what we ought to be asking ourselves. What specific place does God have for me inside of his will of world evangelism, of getting the gospel to all the world? Does God have a will for my life? The answer is yes. You can go back and read Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 4 and see that God has a specific place. That's where he calls the Apostle Paul and Barnabas to do the work that he has separated them to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. Turn there with me if you would. Even when we think about giving to missions, we see that God has a will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 5, we're, we're given the example of a church that gave out of great need. They were, very, they were in poverty. They were going through difficult times. But they gave to the work of God. Why did they do that? Look in verse 5. It says, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They gave because it was God's will. God showed them very specifically, this is what I want you to give. And so I'm saying this this morning because as a young person, honestly, I gave very little thought to the fact that God had something specific for me in this life. And I know what the world is preaching and teaching today. It's live for yourself, enjoy yourself, have a good time, uh, follow your heart, follow your dreams. But the Bible says that we should be wise and understand what the will of God is. And nothing, as one man said one time, nothing is dynamic unless it is specific. And I want to encourage you this morning, get specific. Ask God to show you what is His specific place for you inside of His will. Does God have a will for our lives? The answer is yes, may we be seeking it. The second question is, why should I do God's will for my life? I'm a very stubborn person, as I've already mentioned this morning. I'm also a very selfish person. And so I'm going to be quite transparent with you this morning. As a young teenager, I remember thinking these thoughts. Why in the world should I give my whole life to God? Isn't that selfish of God? To ask me to give each and every moment of each and every day to live for Him? Why not just Sundays and Wednesdays and maybe one day during the week and then the rest I can do for myself? And then I came across this passage of Scripture. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Go with me to chapter number 5. Verse number 14. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What's he saying here? He's saying because of God's love, it should compel us. It should constrain us to live for him. We serve God because of, not in order to. We don't serve God in order to get more of his love because God has already given us all of his love. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're not serving him to get more of his love. We're serving him because of his love for us. And he gave us the life that we have, the very breath that we breathe in our body. And he gave us the opportunity to have eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And because he died for me, I should be willing to live my life for him. And so to answer that question, why should I live my life for God? Because he gave me the life that I have. And he gave me the opportunity to have eternal life when Christ gave his life on the cross of Calvary. And so that answers the question, why I should live my life for the Lord. And you know what the Bible tells us? In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, it says, so every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Do you you know what a steward is? The Bible has a lot to say about stewardship and being a steward. A steward is someone who manages the property or the possession of someone else. And my life belongs to God. It's he that gave it to me. And he's given it to me to steward, to use for him and for his glory. And one day I will stand before him. And I won't stand and say, well, this is what my parents told me to do. I will say, this is what I did with my life that you gave me, Lord. And we want to hear him say, well done thou good and faithful servant. You understand what it means to give an account. You're all in school, right? You have days of reckoning in your classes. Those are called tests, right? And you're gonna give an account for the information that hopefully you've been given, right? I took a few tests in my time that I wasn't quite given all the information. But I'm sure that doesn't happen here. I'm sure your teachers give you everything that you need to know. And you're gonna give an account for that. And that test shows you how much did you glean and remember from what you were given. And we're gonna give an answer for how we live our life. We're gonna answer to the one who gave his life for us. And we ought to live our lives for the glory of God because it's really his life that he's given us to live. Does God have a will for my life? Yes. Why should I live my life for the Lord? Because he gave me that life and he died to give me eternal life. And then thirdly, the question we must ask ourselves is, am I willing to do the will of God? Am I willing to do whatever it is that God gives me to do? And the truth of the matter is, that should already be answered whether, whether I know exactly what it is or not. We teach our, our young people in, in, in Alabama a song that goes like this. Maybe you know it's a course. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. And may that already be our answer. We may, you may say, but Brother Brown, I have no idea what I'm going to do once I'm out of school. I have no idea what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, but your answer to God already should be yes. When he calls, you should say, here I am Lord, send me. Here I am Lord, I'll do whatever you lead me to do. My answer to you already is yes, but you know how we treat the will of God? We treat the will of God like this a lot of times. When I was in North Carolina pastoring there, we we lived out in the country, out in the middle of nowhere and we had a little RV hookup and sometimes missionaries would come through and if they had an RV or, or mobile home they'd hook up there beside the church and One of our missionaries called us. He was coming and wanted to stay there for a few days. So I went out to make sure all the plugs were good. And we had a plug with a cover on it. And just to make sure I knew where everything was, because this was the first time I was handling all of that, I went out there and and I lifted up the cover. And as soon as I lifted up the cover, there was this humongous waspness. Y'all have wasps in Kansas? So what did I do? I shut it and run as quickly as I could. And sometimes that's how we treat the will of God. Well, Lord, I I think I'd like to do your will for my life, but let me get just a little peek at what... Ain't no way I'm doing that. I'm running the other way. But our hearts should be fully surrendered before the Lord even shows us exactly what it is. Lord, I will do whatever it is you want me to do. Because as I mentioned before, God will give you the strength and the ability to do what he leads you to do. He doesn't just put that yoke on you and say, Go, mule, go. The Bible says He comes up under the load with us and helps us carry that load that He gives us to carry. And so those three questions we ask ourselves, does God have a will for my life? Yes. Why should I be willing to live my life for for the Lord? Because He gave that life to me and gave me eternal life. And then am I willing to do the will of God? And I hope that that answer is yes. And the truth of the matter is, the will of God settles everything else in our life. Think about Moses. Moses met God there at the burning bush, and God told him, I want you to go to Egypt and stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But it didn't go easy, did it? What was the first thing that happened when Moses went back? Pharaoh said no. That probably was a shock to Moses. He probably thought he was going to walk in there, and Pharaoh said, okay, yeah, absolutely, have at it. But Pharaoh said no. And then the people, and not only that, did he say no, he made their job harder, didn't he? No more straw to make the bricks. you got to go get your own straw, and you got to still make as many bricks as you were making yesterday. There better not be even one short. And so what did the people do? They said, well, thank you, Moses. We appreciate you coming along and serving the Lord and doing God's will for your life. We're behind you. They said, no. Who are you to speak for us? (laughs) Who do you think you are? Come, now you've made our job that much worse. They were turning on him. What kept Moses on task? Moses remembered the burning bush experience, knowing this is what God gave me to do. And he kept at it, and he kept at it, and he kept at it. And God had to do a work, broke Pharaoh's heart, and he allowed them to depart and to be a people unto him. The will of God settles everything else. When I know this is what God has called me to do, and I stand on that, I can stand against anything because I know God has called me to do this. It's not of my own choosing. It's not what my parents made me do. It's not what my pastor told me to, I had to do. It's what God gave me to do. And I stand here doing it on the authority of Almighty God. And so we have to answer those three questions. Let me give you four things in closing this morning very quickly. How, these are kind of more practical things, how can I discern the will of God for my life? Well, first of all, we see that God will reveal His will to us through His Word. God reveals his will to us through his word. Psalm 32 verse 8, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. So under this practical section, first of all, we see the will of God is revealed and it's revealed through his word. As we read and commune with God, spending time with him daily, his word will help to shed light on what his will is for our life. I have four children. They all have different likes and interests. How do I get to know them? And, of course, my wife knows them better than I know them. Why? Because she spends more time with them than I do. But the only way I can know their likes and interests is by spending time with them, hearing what they have to say, and I don't like this, and I like that. Jackson's birthday was today, and so I took him out to breakfast this morning, and I said, what do you want? Well, his favorite thing in the world right now is donuts. So we went to Dunkin' Donuts, and he got a chocolate donut. I know that's what he likes because that's what he told me. Now, it may change tomorrow, but that's what he liked this morning with sprinkles on top. And so if we want to know God's will for our life, we have to be communing with Him. That's why it's important. You know, your parents and your pastor don't just tell you each and every day you need to read your Bible because it's just something else they want to give you to do. It's Because they understand that's important. If you're going to know God's will and live your life for the Lord, you have to know what His Word says. And I've dealt with a lot of young people and older people alike whose lives are way off track. They've been raised in church, faithfully in church. But they do not know the word of God because they are not spending time personally in the word of God. God's will is revealed through his word. God's will also is revealed through the Holy Spirit. You can read John chapter 3 verse 1 through 6 or John chapter 14 verse 26. Let's turn there. John chapter 14 verse 26. God gives us the Holy Spirit within at the moment of salvation to guide us to the truth. John chapter 14 verse number 26. The Bible says, but the Comforter, that's the Holy Ghost, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Go over just a few more uh, chapters to chapter 16, verse 13. The Bible says this, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. God has given us the Holy Spirit, that's God within, to guide us to the truth. And aren't you grateful that God didn't just say, hey, I want you to do my will for your life, and good luck figuring that out. (laughs) You ever had somebody give you a job to do and didn't explain how to do it? That happened to me a few times in my life. It's frustrating, isn't it? But God said, I've got a work for you to do, and I've I've explained it clearly in my word, and I've also given you the Holy Spirit within who will help make my word clear in your heart and mind. And so he reveals his will to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit. Another way that he reveals his will to us is through circumstances. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purposes. Now, we can't rely on circumstances alone. Well, this, you know, I had this dream and so I know that's what God wants me to do. No, he will use circumstances, but it will be in conjunction with his word. By the way, if you ever feel that God's calling you to do something that is against the word of God, then you know that's not God that's speaking to you. And you may laugh and say, well, that sounds simple. I've had people tell me, I know this is what God wants me to do, and it's very clearly against the Word of God. And so I then know that's not what God is calling them to do because God will never contradict His Word. And so His Word, the Holy Spirit, circumstances, and then counsel. The Bible gives us a lot of verses about getting godly counsel. Proverbs 11, verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 20, verse 18, every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice, make war. And I've dealt with people over the years, both young and old alike, who said, we want to meet with you, Brother Brown, or meet with you, Pastor Brown, and they wanted to meet with me to tell me what they were doing, not to receive counsel. And how I would have loved to have prayed for them and helped seek the Lord's will with them, helped them determine exactly what God was leading them to do, but they did not allow me that opportunity. And I'm nothing special, but at that point in time, I was a God-given authority in their life, someone that God had placed in their life to help them and pray for them and lead them and counsel them. And I'm sure your pastors experienced that many times over the years. And Pastor, to be honest with you this morning, I can't think of one of those that when they did that, that it ended up good for them, that they ended up doing the will of God. They always went the other way eventually. And so God has given us people in our life, parents, uh, older believers, teachers, pastors, to help give us counsel. Now, we have to choose what we're going to do, but we ought to be wise enough to listen to godly counsel, and that cannot be our peers. Our peers can pray for us. They can encourage us but they cannot counsel us because they're in the same stage of life we are. And if you want a Bible example of that, go study the life of Rehoboam. He listened to the young men's counsel, not the old men's counsel. And what happened? The nation of Israel was rendered into two different kingdoms because he did not heed the counsel of godly elders. And God reveals his will to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through counsel and through circumstances so that God's will is revealed. Secondly, God's will must be sought. We don't have time to turn there, but in Numbers... It talks about the nation of Israel, they were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And the way that worked was anytime that cloud moved, that was God's sign to Moses and the people, it was time to pack up and to follow that cloud. If they did not keep their eyes on that pillar of cloud and it moved and they didn't, they would not be following the will of God. So they had to keep their eyes on that cloud that God was leading them by. Now, God doesn't lead us by cloud, but he does lead us by his word, by the Holy Spirit, by counsel and circumstances. And so God's will must be sought. It must be sought, but we also saw that it is is revealed. And here's the thing. God's not going to play hide and seek with you. And God's not trying to to dangle the carrot in front of you and say, I hope you catch it. If you seek God's will, the Bible talks about as we live in his will, he begins to shed more light on what his will is for our life. He, He leads us along. He will reveal it to us very clearly because he's searching for men and women who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And so we see God's will is revealed. God's will must be sought. And then a third thing, the will of God will require waiting on God. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul got impatient. He was waiting on Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice before they went to battle. But Saul got impatient, took matters in his own hands and he offered the sacrifice which he was not allowed to do in accordance to the word of God. And because of that disobedience, God took the kingdom from Saul. He said, I'm searching for man after mine own heart. Saul, I'm just looking for someone simply who will wait on me and obey what I've given them to do. And That man would be David. But then a, a, a different occurrence in Exodus chapter 14, we see Moses. Moses at the Red Sea. Here's the nation of Egypt, the army coming against them. They're going to take them back into captivity. There's mountains on both sides. There's a sea that's too too far to swim across, too deep to walk across. There's, There's nowhere to go. They're trapped. What did God say to Moses? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He said, I've got a plan in all of this. You just wait on me. And that plan was a miraculous plan. God parted the Red Sea. And they walked through on dry ground. And the will of God will require waiting on God. As James says, we have to let patience have its perfect work. You may want to know right here and right now exactly each and every step along the way that God has for you. By the way, I'd like to know that. <laughs> I'd like to know exactly how this church plant is going to pan out every step. How many people are we going to be running when we start our grand opening service? I'd like to know that. How much support are we going to end up with by the end of next June? I'd like to know that. Are we going to have a staff at some point? Are we going to be able to run buses? And all? I'd like to know all of that. Where am I going to be 15 years from now? My children will be in college age and possibly married. How is all that going to pan out? I'd love to know that. And you ever wondered why God doesn't show us all of it at the beginning? There was a man by the name of Rudyard Kipling. He's the author of the actual Jungle Book. And he was traveling the Atlantic one day with his daughter. Her, name was, her nickname was Joe. And on the trip, they played on the deck of the boat. Not long after that journey, his little daughter died. And he said this. He said, if I had known what was lying ahead with that little girl, I could never have enjoyed the trip with her across the ocean. And God did not roll back the curtain and let me see it all because I could not have borne that burden. And God knows what we're able to handle and what we need to know and when we need to know it. And He will reveal His will to us step by step if we will just simply seek Him. And so this morning, I just simply want to challenge you with these three things. First of all, will you determine today that no matter what it is, that you will do the will of God for your life? Secondly, will you ask God to give you the discernment To discern his will. And then thirdly, will you commit to do what you already know to do? See, the truth of the matter is we already know right now what God wants us to be doing right here and right now. And if we're not willing to do that, we can't expect God to show us the next step until we take care of this step that he's already shown us. And I hate to say this. I don't hate to say it. I know you hate to hear it. But for you young people... That's to be a good student. That's one of them. To learn and to glean and to take everything that you're receiving right now because you don't know how God's going to use that. I was not a big fan of math, but you know what I did last year? (laughs) I taught seventh grade math. (laughs) So I'm glad that I took seventh grade math. It made relearning it a little bit easier last year. (laughs) And so you just never know what God's going to lead you to do. So get all that you can. Take care of whatsoever thy hand has found to do right now. Do it as the Bible says. Do it with all thy might. And ask God to help you to know the next step when the times come. May God help all of us to do his will. I'm going to pray. And I'm